Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Today's guest is Barry Hoffman from ZeroLight. Barry is the Chief Strategy Officer of ZeroLight, a leading real-time visualization company in the automotive industry. He has a background with telco, gaming, automotive, and data science, and interactions with CRMs being the major thread in his career. At ZeroLight, Barry is responsible for the US operations and also leads strategic partnerships at ZeroLight. This company, just so you know, is really incredible. They have taken virtual and augmented reality for the automobile industry to the next level. From AR apps where you can see cars in your living room to full VR simulators where you can drive the cars and see what they interact like. It's an incredible company. I suggest you check it out at zerolight.com. That's Z-E-R-O-L-I-G-H-T.com. Or if you're American, Z-E-R-O-L-I-G-H-T.com. Barry, welcome to the show. Nice to be here, Ellen. Thank you for inviting me. It's my absolute pleasure. I've been a huge fan of your work for a long time. Uh, you guys have done one car after another. I think one of the ones that I saw on there was a Pagani. Uh, it's just, I'm a car head as well. So being able to, to see the work that you guys are doing and making things look photo real is just incredible. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think you mentioned Pagani. It's funny because like, it's it's a it's quite an unknown car, of course. You know, like they only make one hundred of a series. You know, like so the Pagani Roadster, uh, Huare Roadster. I've, I believe there were one hundred made. But the funny thing is that all those one hundred were sold digitally first, so there is no real car there available. If you think about the starting price of two point three million dollars, there, it's probably like a sort of like digital reality sales case of 230 million dollars <laughs> it's something if you if you do the math how incredible that is so what you're saying is uh, zero light has contributed to probably the largest use of vr for an economic benefit ever yeah, that's true. It, it, this one is, of course, split to VR and especially screens, you know, like because a, a lot of the clientele will want to use it on, on screens. I would say uh, Pagani is definitely a case like that. Uh, Audi, we definitely contributed to that part. And uh, most recently, we released uh, Cadillac in their showrooms as well with VR. So. And all these different car manufacturers, they, they tell their story differently. They have different brands and they use the technology differently so i think that's that's the coolest bit you know like instead of just saying okay there's one type of showcase and this is how you do vr that would be the same as like there's one type of app in the app store and that is all you can do you know so it's cool to see this diversity these ideas coming out of all these different clients and then working together with them in turning that into their into their story and not just their story because that would make it only a brand experience but also a buying experience because a lot of things of what we do is is sort of like on the high-end personalization side like like what you just said pagani has eighteen thousand parts one eight and all those eighteen thousand parts can be changed into something unique you know so that's the ultimate buying experience i almost said like audi for instance if you take their uh, uh, custom built program I believe there's more Audis in variants available than there's grains of sand in the world or in the Sahara. I think that's that's the small thing that I have to say. So, so all these things, if you only do uh, traditional like uh, photo shoots or or even you do traditional CG, you can only show a limited set of those variants. And what we did is at one point we took their 
like let's call it engineering bill of materials and in in simple words that's basically the models coming out of their engineering cycle those were turned into marketing bill of materials so more marketing ready cg models and we turned this into a library that can be picked up by any channel in real time and turned into any variant that is available to that in that region because of course not every region has the same kind of like colors available the same kind of trim levels lights that kind of stuff so in the end it's not just that one showroom it's being able to do that worldwide being able to deploy it being able to update it so it, it's pretty cool you know yeah. Yeah. so tell, tell me how did zero light get started i always wanted to know like how do you how do you go from being you know we're a computer graphics company to now we're designing the new Pagani and you can you can choose any color in the rainbow plus change the spark plugs if you want. Yeah, you know, like I think it started out of a project which we did in collaboration with IBM and Jaguar Land Rover in 2012 when Jaguar Land Rover was sort of rebranding their, their, their whole setup. You know, like they were just bought by Tata and they were actually then, uh, you know, they came out with a new F-Type, they came out with a new Evoque, and they wanted to have something that the world had never seen. So they said, can you bring the car on the biggest screen possible? And then uh, we want to do stuff with Kinect and all that stuff, which was at that time the coolest stuff, you know, like, and that's, uh, we, we come from the gaming industry originally, you know, like uh, the company beforehand was like 26 years in various names involved in almost, you know, probably 70, 80% of all the car racing games ever built. So, you know, like uh, thinking, uh, so we had a lot of legacy in the car world and we had a lot of legacy of working with interactive technology with all the different console cycles, with all the different PC cycles, always having to take the bleeding edge out of what was available there. So when IBM came, they, they, they went to some of the larger like games companies who could not do that because they were tied up to their, uh, to their mother companies. Uh, but those companies pointed to us because we had worked with them in the past and they said like uh, can you work with us and then well we thought it was a cool project plus when we were doing racing games we always thought can we actually sell cars from racing games that that was the original thought you know like that there was before that you know like sort of like can you sell cars from there because in the end, it turned out it's the other way. It's actually, can you sell cars by using racing game technology? You know, that's, that's almost how it turned out to be. Because in the end, people, what you see is that people go into a racing game to be entertained. People go into a showroom to buy a car. And combining that technology-wise is possible, but narrative-wise is difficult. That's also, a lot of people always ask me, uh, can you have a driving car in VR? And I say, yeah, you can have a driving car in VR because like we do those things, you know, we have drive-in experiences, we have drive-out experiences, you know, like where we show the movement of the car. But then they say, yeah, can I have the steering wheel, you know, because if you have a Pagani Roadster or a Lamborghini or, you know, I want to drive that car. I said, well, I said, have you ever played a real simulation race game? You know, like, and they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, do you remember the first corner where you have to go through on the track? What happens with you? Well, I end up in the gravel. I said, well, that's what's happening with you in the shop as well. And do you know what happens in the shop if a buyer ends up in the gravel? Uh, no. I said, well, they walk out of the shop. They're ashamed of their behavior and they never come back. And I said, if you know that there is less than two people per day coming into a retail shop to actually buy a car, you have to take it a little bit more step-by-step -step approach. So slowly we've been 
on top of the the graphical quality we've been bringing in those sort of like moving and driving experiences but always by keeping in mind do we actually does it contribute to the buying experience of the customer does it contribute to the selling experience of the client uh, you know is there a good engagement is there a good conversion is there is there a high in book value coming out of that with every part of the channel whether it's with the media creation we do which is not you know like extended reality ar vr but you know like every part of media creation whether it's advertising whether it's web or whether it's in in the dealership you know in the end we'll get those components Sorry, I'm, I'm going a bit of left and right, but <laughs> I hope no, it was clear. No, it's wonderful. And, and I think, you know, it's really interesting because in the automotive world, you have very discerning clients. They, they, they have big budgets. They know what they want. And, you know, it has to be right. And one of the, um, I think it was the first or second interview I did for this podcast was actually Elizabeth Barron from Ford. And Elizabeth is a pioneer in this industry. She She was at Ford for 30 years and ran their immersive technology lab for 20 of them, I think. And, you know, she was explaining that they're using it for design. So their designers are, you know, putting the, the VR models or the, the 3D models in VR, walking around them, changing the lighting. And now Ford is using uh, those VR experiences to show every executive uh, the car before they're built. So every executive has to approve the car in VR before it goes to production. So you've got, you know, people using it for design, you got people using it for, for sales, and then you've got people at home racing them, driving them into the cabbage. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you a question. What is your favorite racing simulator? Um, I think still Forza. I'm playing that at the moment on my Xbox. So, uh, so that's probably my, my most favorite because it's not just a simulator with tracks, but it's, uh, it's much more a narrative as well. You know, I kind of like that. I'm a st- I like stories. That, that's yeah. that's the red thread in you know next to data. I like storytelling. I like listening to stories. I like reading stories. I like viewing stories. I agree, and I think that's one of the things that's missing from current VR because most people. Yeah. And I'm not saying you know all of all of it, but a lot of people up until this point, up until you know maybe a year ago, were just trying to make it work. And oh, it works. Okay, great. Can we can we make it you know not make people sick? Okay, we got there and. Can we make it so that it doesn't cost us an arm and a leg? Okay, we're good. And now you're finally starting to see that that point where it's like, okay, we the technology exists, we know it works, we know how to make it. Let's you know start telling proper stories again. Yeah, and it's really true. exciting now. I, I think you know, like like you say, you know, like making it work. If that takes up like 80 percent of your time and of your budget. There's no more time for, for the good narrative, you know, like, or even though if they had a good plan with a good narrative, in the end, the execution does not lead to it. You know, like, and at the moment, I, I would say, you know, like there, there's, there's a couple of blockers there, you know, like you still see it on the hardware, software and interaction side, you know, on the hardware side, you see it with, uh, you know, like if you set up a high end VR experience, it needs to have a freaking bloody big PC, you know, it has those cables attached to it and all that stuff. So, so, you know, Cutting the machine, cutting the cord—that's that's one of my missions in life, you know. Like, and that's why we started working with uh, with Qualcomm together as well on the sort of bound, boundless XR thing with uh, Hugo Swart, uh, you know. The- yeah, yeah, Hugo. <laughs> yeah, I just posted about Hugo's uh, uh, talk at AWE, and actually, uh, I've been bugging him to come on the podcast. So, Hugo, if you're listening, you got to come on my podcast. <laughs> 
well, send them an email. That's uh, that's cool. And I have. The, that's the problem. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, probably buried in a thousand others. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I had the pleasure of meeting him and and working with his team, and we work towards uh, uh, the next Dallas uh, event. But, uh, I'm trying to think. What is it? Brain Exchange. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we will come uh, come there, and we will show some uh, some really interesting stuff there. Uh, cannot tell too much about it, but if you look at the last press release that Qualcomm did, where our name was mentioned, it gives you a little bit of a hint. <laughs> yeah. So that, and then uh, you know, on, on the software side, that's another thing where you see is like like up until let's say even maybe a half a year ago to a year ago, a lot of companies could not even get up to the level of 90 frames per second, you know? So you had all those sickness and that kind of stuff in VR, you know, like that's, thankfully, a lot of that stuff starts to get like done well, you know, some of the guys from the engine companies, you know, they've been sorting it out, those layers, so that's good. But in the end, it's also about the quality, you know, the quality, if you, if you do VR, you know, or AR, the quality needs to match the world around you. It cannot just be uncanny valley, like digital people in there or simple holograms and that kind of stuff. That is, I would say, great to see those experimentations going on. But for the wider audience, they don't see it. You know, they think like, what am I looking at? You know, that that's, that's where it really needs to push. And I was this weekend at Shape from AT&T. Yeah, how was it? Uh, you know, it's great. You know, like I, I had some, some some really interesting uh, examples there. You know, like like HCC did something with uh, with Batman. Uh, you know that uh, that Game of Thrones thing. Kind of like some of the demos that Magic Leap had running. But but if you take on an overall business, it was more still a technology show than it would have been. Okay, this is the future of Hollywood. You know, like for for me and. Uh, if you, if you can, uh, you know, like it's a little bit, and that's why I think we're still in the in the sort of like uh, the phase of artistry. Like when you learn how to appreciate art, so, and especially modern art, you know, you, you look through your through your eyelashes and you try to imagine what you see. And that's sometimes still a little bit of the work of, of, of VR and AR I have to look at versus it's it's immediately clear what you're trying to do with it, the utility, the the immersion. And and what you just said as well is like, I think when we started out a couple of years ago, you had incredible productions and you still have, you know, like like the productions from Chris Milk and his team, you know, like they were. Can I tell you a quick story? Oh yeah, please. Yeah, please, please. <laughs> the first time I ever tried VR was at Curiosity Camp and Curiosity Camp takes place in the Santa Cruz mountains and it's put on by, um, Innovation Endeavors, which is Eric Schmidt's investment fund. So I got invited to this to, to DJ at it with my emulator board. And uh, it was Robert Scoble and I. We both went into this little tent. And there was this guy showing these VR demos. And big, huge, it was the DK1 with big headphones. And I put it on. And it was Chris Milk who put the VR headset on my head. And it was uh, an experience where I was on stage standing next to Beck in, in a concert. And I just had this kind of holy crap moment. It was just amazing. And I, it was from that moment on that I knew that virtual and augmented reality is the future of human communications. And I wanted to be part of it. So that's uh, five years ago, I said, I'm going to be one of the experts in the world in VR. And I tried to aim for that anyway. <laughs> no, that's true. But but you felt the presence. You felt presence. You know, you were there, you got that goosebumps on your, on your arm. You know, that's, that's exactly the same thing. I just wonder 
you know, how do how does the industry as a whole, and maybe maybe that's the idealistic me talking, you know, how does the industry as a whole make certain that that every first entrant into well, let's call it in this case VR, you know, like creates gets that presence moment because otherwise yeah. it's just a wow thing. Because because here's the issue, you know, 360 cameras cost two hundred dollars. And somebody can go film their their holiday vacation, make it all unstable, throw it in a VR headset, and start showing people. And people will go, "That's VR. Oh, that sucks." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's maybe elitist to think this way, you know. Maybe this is the push. But like, I was just thinking about this morning, you know, like when we you talked about this DK one. I had the same thing with DK one. We we had a racing game running at that time, and we got the DK one for zero light. And I said, I want one for that racing game as well. We went to China. We had China Joy. And I said, let's do one side of the thing with the DK1. That was the first time somebody, at least on that show, anybody had shown VR. You know, like, so I thought that's a nice marketing coup. And these guys go in and everybody comes out of it and their hair was standing straight up, you know, and they say, it's amazing. You know, you saw them almost like dropping down because they were so like wobbly because of the experiences and everything. But <laughs> they thought it was amazing, you know, and because it was a racing game, you were sort of tied into this sort of like uh, chair. You see your car around you. So you never had that feeling you were walking. It sort of worked from the get go. It was sort of funny to see that. But from that moment up until today in the streets, I would have expected it to go faster. And do you know what happened? The, the the one thing that that created that that image now in the streets that I would have expected like XR to do is sort of those AirPods from Apple. You see them now everywhere in the street. And that was a revolution happening in a couple of years, even in one and a half years. And that's sort of like what was missing, you know, a big company like Apple, Google, or really pushing the thing out and saying, this is what it's going to be, and then making it part of everyday life. You nailed it there because you mentioned two big companies, and I'll mention a bunch more. So Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook, Qualcomm, Intel, Unity. Like You're looking at these massive companies now, and they're all betting big on VR and AR. And there's you know billions of dollars have gone into this market. And I knew it was going to take 10 years. I, I kind of looked at the market. I got in in 2015. And I said, okay, it's going to take 10 years. I built my schedule around that and I said, it's going to start with enterprise. It's not going to start with consumers. Consumers will buy it, but it's going to start in enterprise. And it's exactly what we're seeing. No, it's true. It's true. Just to come back to Zerlet for a second is that when we started doing this, of course, we came from the racing game world, but I had so many companies talking to me saying, oh yeah, and what's your next industry? I said, well, I said, to be honest, at the moment, we want to focus on automotive due to the fact a, you know, like I only have a limited amount of people, you know, we're a 125 man company. Uh, we want to make certain what we do is the best that you can find in that industry. And if we're going to all these other industries, there needs to be a case for it. You know, it needs to be able to sort of like, because like, like you say, enterprise was the first thing. B2C was far too early. And within enterprise, you need to find enterprises that are willing to spend the budget on it and seeing the results coming out of it. And even though everybody sees it for architects and everybody sees it for, for other things, because that market and especially the data for those markets are so dispersed amongst like architects, engineers, uh, building owners, you know, it's a completely different market than when you have an OEM who control basically the, the PLM cycle, the product life cycle management, the mm -hmm. product life cycle management cycle, you know, and the CRM cycle, the customer relationship cycle. So 
them actually owning both that part and having high-end data available was for us the sweet spot to be able to show that thing. And then I think that's where you're right, you know, making that plan for 2025, pushing for that thing. We keep razor sharp on what we're doing. You know, it's the same with uh, with hardware uh, partners, you know, like uh, we've done a lot of support for, for new hardware makers, you know, like some of them are unfortunately no longer here, you know, like uh, think about Meta, think about Star VR, you know, incredible products, but also OSVR, Star VR, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they, we, there's, we, a, there's a graveyard for sure. ODG. And we, we all we all supported them, you know, like we, we were all first on there, you know, last year at uh, SIGGRAPH, we did uh, first foveated rendering with Star VR, you know, like, uh, but on the other hand, you know, like part of my strategic relationships, of course, is A, sometimes making a calculated bet that some of these partners will survive and we are first together with them, you know, like, because in the end, we're a startup as well. We, we not only want to go with big companies, we want to grow this market together so so we did that and on the other hand sometimes you see it working you know like we we did the stuff with hcc5 at uh, at gtc you know like first foveated rendering in the world with them we did uh, you know human eye resolution with varjo at gtc this year i got to try the varjo uh or varo is it varo or varjo anyway yeah i always say varjo but, but probably if you're finnish you you're saying hey barry shut your dutch mouth bless <laughs> talking finnish you know but <laughs> Varo is a uh, is a new uh, VR headset that they just introduced a new one. They've got they cl- they claim to have near human eye resolution uh, graphics. And what they've done is they've kind of created like a, a fake foveated rendering where they the center of your vision is really super high resolution and the rest of the screen is regular. So it works and it's funny. And unless somebody had told me that, I would not have really noticed that. But their new headset is called the XR1 and it's got cameras on the outside facing so you have a full augmented reality experience meaning you you can see the world around you and it felt amazing it didn't didn't make me sick it didn't lag it was you know as i've done done a lot of these things there was a company out of uh toronto here called oh i can't remember now but they they did a pass-through camera type of thing and it was nauseating to be honest um We've been doing some interior, internal uh, stuff with the Vajo XR1 or the the the, the pass-through cameras, especially because you know, like if if you look at the whole AR thing and especially the the wearables, the headsets, you know, like think about Hololens, think about Magic Leap. I see the utility factor of where they are. You know, the whole training aspect doing with Hololens or with Magic Leap, great. You know, I love it. You know, like unfortunately, it's not directly my market to be in utility although we're working on some training utilities for automotive where you use high-end quality but if you look at what pass-through can do what holographic until now cannot do it cannot show black it cannot show real black so if you try to sell a car if you try to show a car you try to sell a black car and that kind of stuff it's, it's sort of muddy gray or, or sort of like vague gray and that's the stuff that we always said is like until someone comes up with the quality there we believe up until a certain moment more in pass-through where basically you see the real world and then the the digital object is rendered on that you know for me at the moment it's still my bad pass-through and you know seeing that apple of course at one point bought uh, what was the company again vrvana yeah and uh, 
which which for me was the first time I saw that pass through thing when they uh, when they showed it. You know, like and the quality was of course like the, the model was not that high end, but still the the experience they built with that helicopter flying around and then all of a sudden it was there. I thought it was amazing. You know, that's yeah. and you know it's funny because somebody asked me you know why Apple bought them, and the simple answer is they figured out occlusion with single cameras. Yeah. Like that was a big problem then. And they, they had figured out, uh, you know, there was a company, I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. It was a company that did inside out tracking, uh, before that was a thing. And, uh, they, they raised, I think $5 million. And I said, look, if you guys are going to make a go of this, you should either sell your company now to somebody bigger, or you're going to need to raise $50 million and, you know, make a go of it. But, uh, I think they went into their business. It's, a, it's one of the things you talk about, of course, you know, like the moment you, you start a hardware company, raising those those double digit numbers is, is a necessity. You know, like, you, yeah, I told you guys at, at Meta, I said, if you're going to make a competing, you know, if you're going to go at this, you need half a, half a billion dollars, you need 500 million. Yeah, that's true. You know, like, so, so yeah, hardware is hard. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I don't want to go too deep, you know, like because I know too many people there, and you know, like I think everybody made a great effort, you know, like but in- oh yeah, Meta Meta was a wonderful product. I I had one of the very first demos. It was incredible. But also a little bit, the problem is at the moment, you know, like the moment you get like investor money in, you need to start showing results because they want to see results. They want to see, you know, for instance, with Magic Leap, Hololens comes out with Hololens too. They need to show out some stuff as well, even though you know. If you're truly honest, you know, like it's still a little bit away from what what we truly want to see from it, you know. On the other hand, they need to get their developer community there. They need to get ideas in, of course. So, so I get that. Yeah, it's a it's a different world we live in. So let's see. Can we just bring it back? Because I, I think if there's people people listening, um, you know, from the automotive sector, how can Zero Light help people in the automotive sector? Let's maybe talk about some of the use cases you you, you built buying simulators. Um, but, but more importantly, you know, configurators and stuff in full 3D uh, on web, in store, in VR, in AR, you've done all these you know, creative things. What are the foundations of, of how car companies can can reach out and, and connect with Zero Light to really bring this to fruition? Yeah, so so that's a that's a that's a good one. <laughs> of course, like we say, we can talk about this for all days. Um, I think if you look at the traditional way of how, not even the traditional way of buying cars, because we're already beyond that. You know, like more than ninety percent of people start their search online. You know, like with a car, and then still most of the people go to either a car lot or to a dealership and buy a car from there. You know, like that's that's current days how people buy cars. Uh, if you think about the fact of how a car company wants to sell cars at the moment is especially in the US they have a lot of cars on the car lot and they want to sell that from those lots so in the end you want to lead them to those to those inventories yeah so basically the start of that thing is basically the awareness cycle is basically where people look see certain media coming by you know like 50% of the ad, digital ad market is probably owned by Facebook and Google at the moment and a couple of other platforms and then you've got the rest uh, so the first part is basically being able to produce high-end media assets that wow people and get them to actually go to the next stage, which is basically the Explorer pages and the Build Your Own pages on the OEM website or on some of the owned and earned media, you know, like the social media pages and that kind of stuff. So if you think about media pages, what we currently do is we we basically 
built media uh, built a library for the car companies which have like all their cars all their variants all their things in it you know which they can produce for worldwide and deliver that on the spot so in the case of media we deliver on the spot personalized views videos and everything of those things that can be done through an automated process then it's called render chain or they can do it themselves with a tool called spotlight and with a tool called spotlight they can make images they can make videos but also like uh, uh, vr components like like a 360 panoramic shot of a, of a car in a scene yeah so that's that's step one once people are aware of that they click on things they go to a certain uh you know like uh, yeah piece of uh, online real estate you know, which is either the OEM website, the dealer network website, and there they make decisions of, hmm, I've seen this, now I want to make choices. And the choice could be, I only show what's on the lot, or I show every grain of sand in the Sahara available, like, like with Audi in Europe, for instance. And then they make choices there, and out of those choices, uh, all those choices need to be shown on the screen. Like, for instance, in our case with Audi, we roll... We're rolling out, I think, uh, to 31 countries. We're beyond halfway there, where they do use a real-time 3D technology uh, to show the cars on the screen. So instead of the traditional images that, that car companies have of, of a car in a, on a white background, you can basically order your car looking in an immersive environment. Uh, you can spin it 360 around, but also in real-time open doors, open boot space. You know, you can you can view that car. And by doing that, and this is public knowledge, we've significantly increased like conversion, engagement, and booking value of the car already online before going into the dealership. So that that's that's a great thing. What kind of numbers are we talking here? Um, I need to. Uh, I cannot go into direct numbers because that's that's all Audi. But but they're very. No, no, but, it's, but not just with Audi. But in general, are we talking about a you know a five percent lift, a two percent lift? Uh, well, let's say one of the things we can say, uh, the engagement in one of the cases went up by 66%. Holy crap. Yeah. So that's, and also like a lot of times they are, there's not just one or 2%, they're significant numbers, very high end numbers, you know, like uh, higher end of accessories being used. Uh, and that's, that's only online. So when you go online, basically this is sort of like the results we had. And then if you think about the fact, what, what kind of XR components do we see there? We started building some showcase pages, which we released at CES this year, where if you go from the web page and you sort of like uh, sign up for things, you know, like basically we send you an email and out of that email, you can download your AR app and actually see your car in front of your door, in front of your house, but also uh, looking at the interior at a quality level that is the same as the level on the website and it's all automated so it's not handmade the cars are all coming out of that library and we've created some technology where we take that car model which is normally very high-end i believe it's like five to six to seven million polygons and then we shrink them to fit the headset so in the case or or the handset so in the case of an ar kit setup you know it's a couple of hundred thousand polygons and you can look at the car walk through the car with your uh, with your tablet or your phone and actually feel that you look at the real car so that's that's another accomplishment but that's sort Sorry, of can we put the or can you send me the link i'm going to put it in the show notes on xrforbusiness.io in the show notes will be the uh the link to the android and uh ios apps yeah, that's cool. And I'll also send you a link to the to the white paper where all those results uh, were mentioned in. We did a white paper with Intel about the XR results, so uh, you can look that up as well. Um, so that's 
But at the moment, what you see with VR and AR, in the case of like the online components, it's more more or less like a breakout component. You know, I want to see a bit more of the car, so now I go to the 360. I want to see my car in front of my house, so now I go into AR. So that's why I call it the breakout technology. It's not yet the core technology. It's a sideshow. It's, it's, it's an interesting sideshow, and there we are trying to determine, is this sideshow adding to the, to, to the conversion? But that's, that's something we haven't, uh, we haven't found yet. And then the second part is, or the third part is basically once you go to the dealership and you want to make, uh, uh, you know, make a decision, you know, on the one hand you can say, and, and, and that's a couple of years ago when I first landed in the US because I've been here now for three years, the first discussions with dealers, dealers networks was, uh, yeah, we don't use digital technology, we sell from the lot. The only thing is, the funny thing is, that is true, except... A lot of cars are being sold already before they are on the lot. They're still on the truck. That's, that's a cool thing, especially new models. That's, so that's, that's one use case. Another use case is they might be on the lot, but you're in the middle. Well, I, I believe you're living in Toronto, isn't it? Yeah. So are you going in the middle of winter to a lot and then look across the lot, 500 cars to think, which car do I want to buy? You know, like, no, you don't want to go on the lot. You want to only go into that car, you know, which is then thing. It's the same in Arizona in summer, you know, like those, those are the kind of things. So there's a lot of use cases. And the funny thing is, you know, one of the most traditional US brands, Cadillac for me, that was amazing that they started doing it because that shows that even though the cars and the car companies know we want to sell cars from the lot, but they recognize it's not just to sell cars, but it's to upsell cars, it's to sell those accessories, it's to sell those special wheels, it's to sell that bike rack, those boat racks, it's it's to create those extra things where the salesperson does not have time for. You know, like they're not going to put a bike rack on top of the car to show you how it looks like. And that's that's a very, very good use case. So I, I still think at the moment XR can be part of a core process of a dealership. You know, XR at the moment is a is a breakout technology for BYO. And XR at the moment is a breakout technology for media, like in, in, in awareness. But although at the moment in Google, you know, like if you, if you type in the words, you, you start to get those AR, sort of like web AR things. I think that that's, that's where it shows. It slowly turns now into, into a core technology being used for media. Give it a couple more years and, and, and it's, it's mainstream. Absolutely. Hopefully that helps sort of like to, to bring it together. And we've got like a whole range of tools to deliver things in real time with as little use of manpower as possible. So it gives our customers everything in time to do things. And because we've been able to do that, all of a sudden tools that or, or channels that were traditionally not available to do uh, configurators like for instance we just did a facebook canvas uh, campaign with audi in the uk and i believe it's going to run in germany as well and, and, and a range of other countries is that they could create like 900 different content assets on the fly for a very economic value you know like like for, for I, don't, I believe a factor 50 cheaper than, than normally because it was all automated by our tools they had that library available so we didn't need to import it again and because of that they created those assets and they created on the fly a new app that was then used in a campaign so so because you organize the world for them you organize their products for them in a way they can expose it in new formats allows for them to work in that 
because otherwise it's always a new budget discussion. If you come up with an AR or VR tool and say, okay, now I need another proof of concept, you know, you have to go through this whole budget range with every OEM. If you're right in the budget cycle, you're going to get that money, yes or no. But then it still needs to prove a point and that kind of stuff. And then they might be through their budget and you're a year further. If you already have that technology, you have that library, every time there's a new technology, we can just show it to our customers because we have their library available. When ARKit came out, within a week, we showed them an AR viewer of their car in ARKit. And we said, well, this is how it looks like. How do you want to interact with it? What kind of story do you want to tell with it? You know, like, and because of that, there was like one or two or three that said, oh, yeah, if it can do that, oh, then it can actually solve this problem or it can solve that problem. Otherwise, it's just a PowerPoint show and somebody has to sort of visualize that problem and come up with a solution and then say, oh, because I see the solution in my mind, I'm now going to give you your budget. You know, so it, it, it sort of helps to shorten sales cycles on our side. It, it shortens uh, missed projects on the client side, you know, like, so yeah, win-win. Yeah, it sounds like long, long answer. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's wonderful, and and I think that I, I bet you people are going to be making notes and then going back and re-listening to this because the power of of what you guys have created to be able to take uh, even engineering assets and convert them into marketing assets and then scale those across a whole buying decision tree for customers, you're you're really making the job for automotive sales much easier. Uh, and streamlining it. So I think it's it's a wonderful uh, example of how XR is being used. Yeah, I think the funny thing is like at, uh, at CES, we worked with Audi and with AWS on their booth to show the buying journey of a car across those channels. So you can go to our website or I'll, I'll send you the link to that one where we used part of the thing was like using machine learning to help the buying decisions as well and those kind of things. But the cool thing was a lot of my clients came by there or, or potential clients or new clients, you know, like, and they said, so you're trying to show here a CRM cycle. And they say, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. So how would that work with Salesforce, they said. And then I thought, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what they want to do. So what we, what we focused on a couple of months ago is that we started, instead of showing a sort of generic CRM cycle, we started building it in, in leading tools in, in the CMS, CRM, ERP cycle, you know, so... Uh, stock system in 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 SAP, uh, CRM in Salesforce, uh, you know, like, and then where does where can all these visualizations live, and then push at the right moment the right kind of asset out to the right kind of person. So, so I would say we're in the middle of that. You will see a lot more coming out this year, but but you know, like having the visualization. And then taking the data of all those visualizations and working together with the customers on saying, okay, if you have these special kinds of data that you didn't have before, you know, angles, for instance, how does a customer look at a certain angle with a certain time frame? That's data nobody ever had before. And all of a sudden, because you use a screen or you use an angle or you use a VR headset, or even if you go deeper with Fovita rendering, you use where the pupil is looking, you know, what can you do with that? How can we shorten cycles how can we nudge the the user further you know like so yeah nudges is a thing i can do another session on about the whole thing but that, yeah it's a i, I think we're, we're in a we're in a really good position here to uh, i think you are you know i'm looking <laughs> i just clicked on the projects section of your website and it goes 
Audi, BMW, Lamborghini, Nissan, Pagani, Porsche, Toyota, Volkswagen. <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, that leaves uh, Ford. <laughs> I, I just signed up with a with a very big Canadian company. Hopefully, in the next three four weeks, I can I can talk about that one, uh, which is not cars. So that's the first time I'm going to do something mass market without cars. We've done. Air Force, air, aerospace as well, but that was more on the POC side and some of the sort of like executive decisioning uh, tools. But this is the first time going out there, and there's a couple of more brands coming, which we can talk about in the in the near future. Amazing! So, we'll have to do another uh, another episode not about cars, no, about Canadian uh, companies. <laughs> we should get Pagani to give us a car for the day, and we'll do an episode from inside the Pagani. Yeah, I, I, the funny thing is. Uh, Pagani doesn't own the cars. They don't own any car. It's the owner. So you need to find an owner of a Pagani and then saying, hey, can I own your Pagani to show an, a Pagani? <laughs> would be, honestly, it would be too loud anyway. Yeah, no worries. No, no. It's, it's a beautiful car. It's, uh, you can close the doors and it's, uh, it's as luxurious as can be. So. Wow. Oh, amazing. Well, Barry, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know it's been uh, it's been busy, but here, I mean, I personally invite you, if you come to Toronto, um, let's have dinner. Let's do that. Thank you very much, and I'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you, thank you everyone, for listening. Cheers. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing the automotive industry. To learn more about Zero Light, visit zerolight.com. And uh, thank you again, Barry. Thank you, Alan. Speak to you soon.